Hi again, everybody. Stuart Gandalf here. I'm pleased to have you to our podcast again. Um, our loyal readers and listeners will know that I often talk about changes structurally in healthcare and patient experience and how we can all make healthcare better. And while I'm not a clinician, I love using this blog as a, a chance not only to talk about marketing, but to talk about how we can all work together to make healthcare better. Uh, to that end, I am interviewing today somebody I'm super excited about, uh, Dr. Zeb Neuerth. And I first saw Zeb speak at Chismed a couple of weeks ago in Nashville at Chismed. And he has now authored a new book called Reframing Healthcare, A Roadmap for Creating Disruptive Change. And I'm super excited to interview you here today, Zeb. Welcome. Well, thanks, Stuart. I'm, I'm really appreciative of this opportunity. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Outstanding. So, again, I think I feel like we're like-minded already, and I was uh, joking with you offline. I have a big head start because I got a chance to read your book. But um, for the, our listeners today, I'd really love to start by just telling us, um, you know, a little bit more about your background, you know, you're a clinician, and, uh, and how you came to write this book and why you write this book. Yeah. So I've, I've been in healthcare for nearly 30 years, and I started out as uh, an, uh, a physician in internal medicine, and I practiced for many, many years. I, I spent the first 10 years of my career in academic medicine, uh, essentially teaching young doctors, generations of young internal medicine physicians. And um, and then, uh, you know, I felt that uh, I, I really went into academics because I really wanted to make a difference in healthcare, and, and, and thought that by teaching the future, future generations that that would make an impact. But I, I sort of realized after about 12 years of doing that, that, um, that it was really the system that needed to change. And so I began to study uh, systems and business and management and uh, improvement, process improvement, quality improvement, and then got into innovation and care redesign. And of course, got into clinical operations as in my roles as a manager and executive and was sort of going along. I, I obviously my career has been spent trying to, to change healthcare. Uh, and, um, a couple of things happened to me, uh, about four, four years or so ago. Um, and, uh, I just, uh, I just sort of had this epiphany that I, I needed to really start to speak out in a different way. Uh, and so, uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's hard when you're in an organization, you're just trying to do the day-to-day -day work. And I almost felt like we needed a third space. It's almost like that Starbucks third space. You know, it's not home, it's not work, it's somewhere in between. And, and I feel like in healthcare, things are so frenetic and so tumultuous and everyone's got their head down. And I just felt like we needed a, a different place to be able to have a different dialogue. And um, so I started to actually speak and, and, uh, then I was, was asked to write, and that led to the book, and the book led to me doing interviews uh, for the book, which led to my launching a podcast. And so, you know, very much like you, I, I, I think there is a, there's a need for a, a dialogue in this forum. And so, and so that's really why I wrote the book. Um, now, now, the book is, is, is called the Reframe, uh, Reframing Healthcare, and essentially it's, it's a roadmap. It's a guide for uh, how to really create a much more uh, consumer-oriented, uh, value-based uh, type of healthcare. Outstanding. And, you know, it's funny, when, one of the points you make in the book is, you know, the vast majority of people in around healthcare really want to do the right thing, but the system has um, is not ideal, clearly, and this is a, you know, big sort of Gordian knot uh, trying mm -hmm. to fix it. Um, so without being a dead horse, I think it's really important because one of the things that got me excited about your speech was, how honest you were with what's wrong with healthcare today. So um, there's a lot and, uh, you know, we could probably go on forever, but not in a negative standpoint, but I don't think we can get to where we want to go if we don't at least acknowledge where we are today. So can you share with us some of the observations you had in your book about what's wrong with healthcare? And we'll talk about how to fix it shortly, but right now, what are some of the things that are really important trends that you think we should at least address? Yeah, I think I think that's a very important question, and and you're right. You know, we don't want to dwell on the negative, and there's so much positive going on. And and by by no means do I take any of this to be a criticism or critique of the individuals in healthcare, whether they be providers or staff or administrators. I, I think everyone is by and large trying to do the right thing, but we're we're in a system that is 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 so wrong and so flawed um, and so harmful, and so. You know, let's just start with the issue of quality. And I've been a quality officer for many, many years. Um, 
and so been working against this. But the truth is, when you look at the system as a whole, uh, and, and I mentioned this in my talks, somewhere between 500 to 1,000 people in this country die every day in hospital systems, avoidable deaths. So that, let me say that again, avoidable, preventable deaths, which which makes our healthcare system in the top three or four causes of death in this country. Um, you know, when you look at the statistics uh, of the opioid crisis, you look at uh, other things like uh, the percent of people who get appropriate care, these numbers are, are so tragic and terrible. And so, you know, quality is an issue. Cost is, is, is really a serious issue. Um, the stats here are, are just horrifying. Uh, healthcare is just not accessible to the vast majority of Americans. It's the number one cause of bankruptcy. Uh, you know, for a family of four, employers are paying $28,000 a year. That's, that's literally like every employer uh, buying a new car for every one of their employees every year and then trashing the old car. I mean, it, it's, it's mind boggling. And, and again, this is just the system. And, and so, and for those, by the way, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a burden for those uh, who the system serves, but it's also a burden for those who are serving in the system. And I think one of the greatest, greatest, greatest tragedies of our time as a result of the system is the amount of burnout in healthcare. One out of every two doctors on average is burnt out. And, and this is not, you know, this is not just hearsay. This is research. And that means that they're depressed, they're demoralized, they're depersonalized. The, the cost to to the, themselves and the family is and their families is tremendous, but there's also a cost in terms of patient safety, patient quality. Uh, I mean, you know, no one wants to look up from an operating operating room table and see a surgeon that is burnt out. That's the last thing you want. Or walk into an exam room uh, and have your doctor, you know, be depressed and demoralized. That's that's just not good care and not good, you know, customer service. So, I, I think that you know, from a cost perspective, a quality perspective, from a a human perspective, um, we we cannot continue. The system is is wrong. It's unsustainable. It's it's not serving uh, the people within it, and it's not serving the people it's supposed to serve. So um, I, I'm I'm happy to have this conversation with anyone. Happy to it's it's the numbers are there, the data is there, the stats are there. Um, it's just you know some would argue, and then from a consumer perspective, I haven't even touched that, but from a consumer patient experience perspective, it's appalling. Uh, I mean, you know, our, 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 our consumer experience is so poor that we're not even rated on a lot of consumer experience scores. It, it's just we're not even in the game. And so I, I think, you know, on no account do I believe that anyone could justify the current healthcare system we have. Um, and, and while everyone is working so, so hard, and this is really the point of my book and my talks, everyone's working hard to improve it. I think we're working at the wrong level. It, you know, clearly you have to do continuous improvement and, and, and process improvement. Clearly you have to do innovation, but really fundamentally the system has to be reoriented. It has to be reframed. And, and every, um, every leader I know who's outside of the system says that uh, about healthcare and increasingly a large number of leaders within the system understand that it has to be reoriented. And I've had the opportunity to interview uh, well over a hundred uh, CEOs and, and uh, entrepreneurs and innovators in healthcare who are extremely successful and doing great things. And, and, and they all say the same thing. The system has to be reframed. And, and that's what my book is about. It's a roadmap on how to reframe healthcare. You know, it's funny on the, one of the other talks that Shizmed that really intrigued me, another um, uh, mm -hmm. PhD sort of was observation, ob observing rather what's going on in healthcare and the whole changes that we talk a lot on uh, about is that the um, corporate America is coming in and it's really funny because they were talking about how you know for example a hospital what should be transparent in your billing and the, the answer is we can't do that and there's all kinds of reasons why but that's exactly why corporate America is intrigued by this well if you can't figure it out perhaps we can and so that's really you know there's so much going on in addition the patient experience part you brought up earlier uh, is so vital and it's a topic we speak about a lot as well and you know it's, it's not just you know it's the patient satisfied it's deeper than that obviously by a big uh, measure and Outcomes can be better uh, when the experience is better, and this trend, these trends are happening, whether we like it or not. Right? The trend for consumerism mm -hmm. is not a fad; it's not passing. The corp, the competition, oh, no. the consolidation, the entrance of corporations. 
So if we choose yeah. to put our head in the sand, we're just going to be left behind because these, this movement is happening. So the on that note, uh, you mentioned framing healthcare. I would love to um, explain a little bit what that means too, because I, you know, you talked about it, you touched upon it, but the idea of incrementalism and you know best practices on an, on a, the existing model versus creating something new. Tell us a little bit more about what you mean by reframing. And you, you, I'm sorry, you said it in terms of primary care. Uh, well, yes. Well, yes. Like, let's use primary care as an example. So I guess yeah. the point I was making is that because yeah. you kind of touched upon it, ref the doing more of what we're doing and making it incrementally better mm -hmm. is not big enough, right? Yeah. So you'd mentioned yeah. reframing no. healthcare. And I yeah. thought that your example for primary care really helps yeah. make that real and tangible. So I love that. Yeah. So spend a little bit of time yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, um, so this is this is exactly you know the point, and it, and it's a great example as you as you're saying. So, you know, we've been trying to, and I've been part of this movement for over two decades, uh, well over two decades. We've been trying to improve primary care, um, and we haven't really moved the needle at all. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, the if you think about it, the primary care. Uh, we've 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 been innovating and innovating, but the problem is it's fundamentally you, you know it's, it's fundamentally being done the wrong way. Now let me just say this: primary care, by the way, is the backbone of any healthcare system here in this country and across the globe. The the the, the more primary care you have and the better primary care is, the better health outcomes are in a community and the lower the cost of care. So everyone wins if there's primary care and good primary care around. Everyone loses. Uh, if there is a, a positive primary care or poor primary care. So we know this, the literature has been demonstrating this over and over again for, for the last 20, 30 years. So, so primary care is the backbone of any healthcare system. And I would suggest to you that our backbone is broken. And, um, and we can see this in so many different ways. One of which is the fact that no one wants to go into primary care anymore. It's really hard to get medical students and residents to go into primary care because it's broken. Um, and, and, and fundamentally, it's, it's the business model. It, it really is this, this marketing mindset that I talk about. So, you know, think about this. In this little shop, you've got a, you've got a doctor, you know, uh, a, a nurse, you've got some staff. And it, it, it doesn't matter what the problem is. Everything comes into this little shop. You know, it, whether you have a headache or a heart attack or a hangnail, whether you have depression or diabetes or type of articulitis, it doesn't matter. Everything goes into this little lane. And, and somehow... This, this, you know, one, one doctor or one PA and this one nurse are supposed to somehow have literally a facility to take care and treat uh, thousands of conditions with tens of thousands of medications and have the policies and protocols and procedures and staffing and resources. And it doesn't matter if you're 30 years old and you come in for a quick little thing or if you're 85 years old and you've got, you know, 10 major medical problems, just came out of the ICU on, on 20 medications. Somehow this little shop is supposed to be able to, to, to meet everyone's needs, to try to be what I say, everything for everyone, everywhere, all the time. We know that from a business perspective, that is absolutely ludicrous. Clayton Christensen, the, the preeminent uh, professor of business at the Harvard Business School, says that the business model for healthcare is, is a 200-year-old model that is defunct. Um, and, and we need to change it, and, and we need to change it to something that is consumer-oriented and value-based. And so what I suggest is, and, and, and it's, I, I, I would argue that it's not a hypothesis, it's actually happening in the market, and I could demonstrate this, is that we need to start to create segmented uh, units in primary care. We need to have primary care brands that are focused on what I call the complex chronic. Uh, because people who are older with multiple complex medical problems, they need a completely different model of care than those of us who are younger and have, you know, something minor like a laceration or, you know, a headache or something, you know, where it's a quick in and out sort of visit. And that's why you need a complex chronic care model and you need an urgent care model. I would suggest to you that we probably need a women's health model, uh, uh, potentially a wellness model. And, and then we do need a continuity of care model for those who have chronic disease. And, and so, you know, so I think that what we're seeing in the market, in fact, and, and again, the market is driving all of this. Um, we're beginning to see this differentiation, this segmentation of care. And in my book, I also talk about something which 
is really, um, I, I wrote about it uh, well over a year ago. I've been talking about it for the last couple of years, but now we're beginning to see this happen in the market, which is what I call a platform brand. That, you know, people say, we, we, you know, we're, we're this model of is, is, is fragmenting care. And if you have all these different types of primary care, and, and the answer is it's not because what's also required is an integrating and coordinating platform. And I mean a digital platform. And, and we see this in other industries and we're going to see it in healthcare. And uh, in fact, what I, I think we're going to see emerging in the next year or so, uh, it's been happening. There's been lots of companies that have been vying and, 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 and warring to be the platform for healthcare and they're partnering with healthcare systems, you're going to see these platform brands emerge. And, and what I think we're going to see is a move from systems that are, you know, healthcare systems and hospital systems that are trying to integrate and coordinate care to platforms that are actually going to be uh, the integrating and coordinating force for healthcare. So, so that's the very, very concrete example of how, um, how this sort of what I call the marketing mindset, uh, again, a market-driven mindset, which is, uh, which is really literally right now, uh, right in front of us, transforming healthcare and transforming primary care, which is really the backbone of all healthcare systems. Perfect. And, you know, you just brought up something that I really thought was intriguing about um, your speech and the book as well, the whole idea of the marketing mindset. And what's funny about this, of course, our listeners probably know that I'm CEO of Healthcare Success, which is a, a healthcare marketing agency. Um, I stumbled into marketing in undergrad. I thought I was going to be an engineer. I was really good at science and math. Still, I'm good at science and math. But I fell in love with this idea of the marketing concept or marketing mindset where uh, most people think of marketing as advertising, but of course, marketing is deeper, much deeper than that and different than that. Advertising is a subset of marketing. And in fact, marketing really is all about considering a target audience and developing a product around their needs. It's not about selling them something that you've already got. It's about starting with the consumer first, thinking about their needs and then solving it. And that, and what's intriguing when we read the book is how much <laughs> you're a, uh, uh, a convert to that way of thinking. And um, tell us more, I guess, one of the things also that I thought was intriguing about your book uh, was the uh, beyond the marketing mindset, which I'd like you to touch on in a moment, but also uh, the idea of branding. And because uh, I think that both of these concepts are maybe uh, new to some of our listeners if they're on the clinical side of things. Like, well, why are we talking about marketing? Why are we talking about branding? Yeah. So, you know, let me just say, I think you, you really hit on, on the core thesis, the, the fundamental reframe that uh, is happening in healthcare is what I call the marketing mindset. So, again, it's not a theory or a hypothesis. It's an observation and, 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 and a discernment of, of the reality, which is that, you know, every other industry uh, understands this basic fundamental principle that it is about the customer, it's about the consumer, it's about understanding their needs, it's about delivering value from their perspective. And the only industry that has ignored that up until this moment is healthcare. And the problem with that, or, or the, the, the good part about that, is that as, as healthcare is becoming less opaque and um, the, the uh, uh, you know, the barriers to entry are, are far less than they were in the past, you're seeing, you're seeing a deluge uh, of, of new entrants coming into this. And some of those new entrants are, are pretty large and spectacular, like, you know, the Amazons and the Walmarts and the CVS's Healths and, you know, the Apples and the Googles. And, and there are thousands and thousands of others that are, are smaller. But I would suggest to you even other, others like uh, Comcast uh, are, are getting into healthcare as well. And, and as, as they come in, they're bringing their marketing mindset. And, and again, you know, when I have these conversations with physicians and providers, I, I try to make the point, which is, which is the, the point, which is this, is that I'm not talking about marketing in terms of like you just said before, it's not about selling. It's not about advertising. The essence of marketing is, is like you said, it's understanding your customer, the, a specific segment of, uh, of the market, understanding what their needs are, what their pain points are, what they're trying, the problem they're trying to solve, and, and then creating a customized solution for them and making, this share, making sure that, you know, by engaging them, that you create relevance and you solve the problem for them. This, from my perspective, should be the core of medicine. And so what I'm suggesting is we take the, the medical mindset we've had, not ignore it or abandon it, 
but augment it with a marketing mindset. And, and the fundamental goal here, from my perspective, is, is not to technologize or to digitalize healthcare, but it is actually to humanize healthcare. And I think if we adopted the marketing mindset, we would put patient-centered care on steroids, which is, is my goal. Um, and, and that's, that's the perspective I come at from. But the point is this, and I make this to, to, you know, colleagues and C-suite people that I talk to. Um, it, it, it really doesn't matter what I want or, or, or what any policy people want or what any politicians want. The truth is the market is going to dominate and the market is now full of, of, of new entrants that understand consumers and understand how to figure out what consumers need and want and how to give it to them. And they are coming into healthcare in droves. And if we want to be part of the solution, if we want to thrive in the future of healthcare, um, then we need to adopt what every other industry has adopted a long time ago, which is this marketing mindset. And, and I think that for me is the fundamental principle. And, and it's, it's solving our problems from that perspective. And if we, to your point, if we start with the customer and their needs, and again, the idea of experience is not sort of a touchy-feely thing. Experience is everything. You know, experience from a healthcare perspective makes the difference between life and death, you know? So, so if I create a product for a, an older complex chronic care patient, which we were talking about before, and that product is limited to episodic visits, like you come into my office and I'll do great care. The problem is that a lot of stuff happens in between visits. You know, a lot of stuff happens, most of it happens when, you know, the patient is at home. Who's actually managing that experience for the patient? And, and, and the only way you understand that is through a marketing mindset and, and understanding the experience, creating experience of care. Um, and, and, and again, I, I give you multiple examples of that, but I think it is absolutely the most important thing we have to attend to right now. And, and I would say it extends to, we've been talking a lot in the healthcare about the social determinants of health. We know that, that most of health in our country is not determined by what we do in doctor's exam rooms or in surgical suites. It's determined by things like, do you have enough food? Do you have transportation? Do you have safe environments, safe buildings? Do you have housing? Uh, things like that. And I would suggest to you that even that requires a marketing mindset. You have to know your customer. You have to know the segment. You have to know their needs. And you have to figure out how to create a customized solution to meet those needs. And so it is absolutely critical if we are going to deliver health care and health for our communities and for our, and for our country. Fantastic, Zeb. You know, it's funny. The timing of your book is amazing. I was, uh, coincidentally, last week I met with the CEO of a hospital, one of our long-term clients and friends uh, that I respect a lot. And we were talking about a potential rebrand for that hospital. And one of the things he said during this meeting was, you know, I just, I, I need to understand the roadmap. Like, we're, what, we don't want to just change the name. And I said, exactly. That was what's so exciting. This ended up being a two-hour meeting. We spent time talking about it's so much deeper than thinking about the name it's, or maybe a, a logo. It's about improving the patient experience, getting the doctors on board, providing better care, uh, building, you know, they're working on currently a clinically integrated network and building upon that, uh, fulfilling the mission of the community. You mentioned a minute ago the social determinants of health. That community has a really broad mix of demographics from uh, very high end to, um, you know, uh, Medicaid and And so you've got a complete, and the mission of the hospital is really important to them. And that's why they haven't consolidated with everybody else. And they have clinics. So it's it's a, such an exciting time to think through, why would we just think about um, a name? It's much bigger. How, you know, how do we um, create a better product? Which is, at the end of the day, uh, those of you that know marketing, the four Ps are the very basics. The product is the critical one. It's not promotion, it's product. And so it's really exciting. And, and on that note, you spoke about branding in the book. Uh, share with us some of how you feel branding applies to this whole conversation. Yeah, I, I think branding is, is a, an, it's part of the roadmap. In fact, the marketing mindset is really rebranding, redesigning, reorganizing, and branding is the first step. So to your point, branding is, uh, people misunderstand branding and think it is, in fact, uh, you know, a, a new name or a new logo or a new color schema. That is not what branding is. Um, true branding is really what is your value proposition? What value are you bringing to your community, to your customers, to the world? Um, I, I think it is one of the most, if you really understand branding, it is one of the most humanistic and empathetic uh, or empathic 
activities you can do to really, really understand what the need is and what needs you're filling uh, for your customers and consumers. And, you know, I would say this, there are some really, really great examples of rebranding um, in the country. There are some really bold leaders out there. Uh, Intermountain Health is one example. uh, Renown uh, in Reno, Nevada is another example. And, and l- let me share the, the one from Renown because I recently spoke to the CEO, uh, Tony Slonim, who's just a fantastic leader. I was so blown away by him. And, and he's telling me the story about, uh, essentially, he didn't use the terminology, but I, I played it back to him and I said, oh, this is exactly you know what I was talking about. And he said, he, he agreed. So this is it. So he realized they, they went about rebranding um, their organization, their multi-hospital system. And they realized that the community needed two things. One, they needed a very, very strong hospital system. They needed really good surgical suites and, and really good intensive care units and, and really good specialists. And so that was one brand. That was one need. But the community, larger community there needed another need. And that need was around prevention and proactive care. So that is helping the youth with issues around behavioral health and, and substance abuse and, and preventing accidents. Um, the older population, the elderly population in the community needed to know how to age better. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, they realized this and they said, okay, well, instead of trying to mesh this up in one brand, we're actually going to create two brands. And they, this was brilliant. They created a care brand, which is all their hospitals and surgical suites and ICUs and urgent care centers and specialty offices. That's their care brand. And then they created another brand, which they called their health brand. And that's all the other stuff. That's all, you know, working with the older population, home visits and home care and, and population health and helping the youth and, and behavioral health, right? Which is such a big thing. Again, all prevention. And, and the mission, the mission of the health brand is to keep people healthy and out of the hospital and the purpose and mission of the of the of the of the care brand is if you need a specialist, if you need surgery, if you need an ICU, um, you're going to get the best medical care you can get. And and by separating out those brands, you have a different set of strategies, different tactics, different resources. It's just it was such a brilliant, brilliant move to take healthcare and separate it into health and care. And that is a very, very concrete example of what I call the marketing mindset in action. Fantastic. And for the listeners, just to bear in mind, we obviously this is a podcast. We can't talk about every section of the book, but there is so much detail and so many real-world anecdotes and so many uh, um, examples. I think it's really important to recognize that, as Zev alluded to earlier, this isn't all theory. This stuff is happening now. It's just that Zev has a good insight and is pulling it together. You reminded me of Malcolm Gladwell actually a couple times in the way to see some quick insights and draw that and pull it together. So I thought it was really, really well done. Um, you talked about redesign and reorganization principles uh, in you know, great, great detail, but give us just some highlight of what that means from your standpoint. So, so by redesign, um, you know, healthcare has not been designed for human beings. Um, and, and I mean, either patients or providers. Um, and, and, and so that's why you see just such poor patient, uh, satisfaction scores and, and poor net promoter scores. Um, and I mentioned before, you know, there are some uh, uh, markers of uh, simplicity in, in, in industries. Healthcare doesn't even rank in there. I mean, we're, we're so complicated and complex and convoluted, and there's so much frustration uh, that's built into the experience of a patient and family member. And so, so and, and the same, by the way, is true for being a provider. Um, incredibly frustrating. And so, uh, so the redesign phase, after you rebrand, you, you have to redesign uh, and I would, I would say, you know, there's, we could spend hours talking about this, but it's basically human-centered design, uh, you know, empathy-based design. And again, this is not new. This is happening in every other industry. It's beginning to happen more and more in healthcare where you see them taking a human-centered design approach and, again, designing uh, for, for us as human beings. And, and, and that's critically important because if you don't do that, we won't use it, right? And so... If you want relevance, if you want engagement, you have to design. Um, that's just that's just human nature. 
the reorganization, the third step of the of the um, uh, marketing mindset. So once you rebrand and you have a new value proposition, and then you start to redesign for, and by the way, there's a there's a R in there that I, I, I put in the book, which is you have to redesign for different results. So the results you're looking for are, are going to be different than the ones you had before. But once you do that, um, you begin to realize that the organization you have, the way you're structured, probably isn't the organization you need for the future. And so you need to actually take the step of reorganizing, and that's really redirecting your strategies, your tactics, and your resources. And again, I've interviewed now uh, well over 100 leaders, uh, probably closer to 150 or 200 leaders, uh, some in, in new entrant startups, and I, by startups, I mean large startups, and, and some legacy organizations. And, and the one principle that I discerned in, in all of these stories is that sooner or later, they realized that they had to actually reorganize their, their organizations. The renowned example is a great example. Intermountain Health, which I alluded to before, they did the same thing. They created two separate, completely separate divisions. It was, and I take my hat off to them, the, the courage it took to do that. They took their one system and created two systems. They created, had a hospital system and a community system, very similar to renowned. And by the way, I've, I've heard, uh, I just heard Rick Gilfillan from, who is the CEO of Trinity Health. He didn't use this terminology, but essentially talked about the same exact thing. You have to reorganize how you do things or else you will not be able to sustain the rebrand and the redesign. Outstanding. That's really, uh, I love that thinking because it's, uh, again, if you start with those different premises of, you know, how does it, it's not just primary care and acute care. It's what are the needs we're solving for the community. And one of the things that we've talked a lot about on this podcast before is, and you bring up, and I guess that's why I feel like we're, you know, colleagues at arms here, yeah. um, how healthcare is built for um, the uh, the efficiency in system and as opposed to from the patient's point of view. And I understand why that all happens, uh, but, you know, it's just not consistent with where we want to go. Um, what You know, one of the things that you touched upon and, uh, Again, the reimbursement could go. We could be many books about reimbursement, and that's at the heart of um, so much in healthcare. We talk about follow the money, and you can see what's happening. Um, but you did talk about fee for service versus, um, you know, the population health and capitation models, and how things are changing. And I'm not sure that, you know, if you're in the uh, trenches in healthcare, you may not really see how much is changing. Can you give the listeners a little bit of a feedback about what you think these trends are and what they mean? Yeah, and if you if you don't mind, I'd love to actually just you know wrap up the point we were talking about before in terms of the you know kind sure. of redesign reorganization. So one you know one thing to understand, and, and you know again this is the system, and unfortunately it's a it's a legacy system that is is so archaic um, and so harmful. But if you think about it, 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 it made sense a long time ago. You know, in the past, you know, a hundred years ago, uh, literally. Um, you know, healthcare was all about acute care. It, it was all about this episodic care. You know, I had diabetes, you know, uh, for, you know, 10 years or so. And, and, you know, I came to you and I needed you to save me and save my life. I, you know, I, I had my arm ripped off. I needed you to do the surgery. You know, it, it was episodic acute care. The truth is now that over 70 percent of all encounters, probably closer to 80 percent at this point, is not acute episodic care. It is, it is chronic disease management. In fact, the vast majority of healthcare costs, somewhere around 80 percent, is on chronic disease management. So much of care is chronic disease, and, and, and it's, it's preventing the progression of chronic disease, preventing chronic disease, what we call primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention. And so, you know, if you understand what we're treating today, what we're trying to help people with today from a clinical care perspective, you understand that we cannot have the same model that we used 100 years ago, and yet fundamentally the model has not changed. And that's why, and, and by the way, you know, people say, well, it's, you know, change takes such a long time in healthcare. I would suggest to you that we're, a, you know, sort of a phase change here. And for those of you who remember high school physics, Phase change is when you have two different phases together, like water and ice. And what we know about phase changes is they happen awfully quickly. And once once you're in that phase change, you know, water turns to ice very quickly. Um, and, and we are about to see that happen. And for those of us who do not understand the time we're in and the rapidity of the change and the type of change, the type of reframe we require, I suspect they're not going to be around uh, 10 or 15 or 20 years from now in healthcare. 
You know, it's such an amazing insight with the idea of um, chronic care versus episodic care. And um, for sure, uh, people service makes sense when it was acute. <laughs> but if you were 80% is such an amazingly high percentage. Uh, with, and you talk a bit in the book about uh, type 2 diabetes, and everybody knows it's a national tragedy, but you go even deeper into that. And just how, yes, fun, nobody, it's, again, you're in the middle of the trenches. Nobody looked up and said, wait a minute, the whole world has changed. So uh, the path we're racing down doesn't make sense anymore. Um, you, know, you, you, know, the, you know, it's funny. It's, right. you know, just, I think that point is so, I like the way you phrased it. Um, you know, everyone's got their heads down like 100 years later, and, you know, it's like, what? The world's changed? Um, you, you're absolutely right. It, it's funny because I, I heard Rick Gilfillan, you know, as I mentioned before, he was talking. I, I, I was at uh, Mass General uh, Partners the other day and, and giving a keynote, and he, he was giving a keynote as well. And he said he had a picture up on a slide where he showed, you know, that classic thing of the frog in the boiling water. And he said, you know, that's how we've been. You know, things have been changing so slow, but it's at the boiling point. We just haven't realized it. And I, I think he's, he was spot on. Absolutely, and uh, we've uh, got time for a couple quick questions. The um, sure. uh, one thing that was um, is so I intriguing and that's also related to this is the social determinants of health. I mean, you touched upon that earlier, but I think that in a day like today, where you know we're talking about chronic disease management, and obviously, uh, you mentioned in there again, it's just fresh, refreshing to see the same concept. We're talking about okay, you're working with somebody who has chronic asthma, and you send them to a a dirty home or somebody who has type 2 diabetes and they don't, they're not really equipped. How do you think that is going to change over time? And is that really from your observation? It's hard because reimbursement, right? We're not getting reimbursed for that. So how is that going to change over the next, um, you know, few yeah. years? So this, almost, this kind of picks up on your, on your previous question uh, about the shift from fee-for-service to, to, you know, population health and capitation. So as, um, you know, someone's got to be accountable for the runaway cost of care, and and that's increasingly happening. People are accountable today. I mean, it's the government that's paying. You know, the federal government, the state governments that are paying for healthcare costs, and um, and and 50% of of healthcare bills, and and almost the other half is 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 paid for by employers. So they're on the hook. They're already doing population health. You know, they're paying for healthcare, and um, but increasingly, uh, and then of course you got you got the payers, uh, insurance companies. Uh, or that are also on the hook, but increasingly that, that risk is now, uh, providers are being included in that risk and responsible. And as soon as you're responsible for a population, whether it, it be a panel of 2,000 or 100,000 or a million patients, you begin to realize that, you know, again, looking at the science of, 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 of health and healthcare, you realize that, that literally somewhere between 60 to 70% <clears throat> of the outcomes of care, uh, you know, the hospitalizations, the surgeries, the, all the medical costs, 60 to 70% is not due to medical clinical care. It's actually due to social care. It's, it's, you know, and so a very concrete example would be, you know, you have a child that comes into the emergency room, you know, every week or two uh, with, with asthmatic exacerbations. Well, you know, those, Emergency room visits literally cost thousands of dollars and, and are using up critical resources. And by the way, w when they're being used for that child, that means, uh, you know, uh, that means that you have to build, you know, bigger ERs and, and, and more ERs. And, 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 and so the cost, and then you get these huge fixed capital costs. And, and think about this. If you just sent someone into the child's home, a, a nurse, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and looked at what are the allergens that are in the home and you find out that, uh, you know, they, they don't have air conditioning with a filter. You find out that they've got carpeting and pets and, and mites and, and literally just putting in a filter, an air conditioner with a filter, you know, swapping out these, you know, the rugs and carpets, um, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, doing something about the, the mites and some spray. I mean, so incredibly low cost interventions that could save literally just with one child and one family, tens of thousands of dollars a year. And then you multiply that to, to other conditions and you begin to see that this sort of what they call these, you know, social determinants of health or these social influences of health are unbelievably powerful levers. And by the way, it's the right thing to do, not, not just from a cost perspective, but from a human perspective. And so, and when you're now responsible for that cost, if a hospital system is now responsible, 
for the cost of asthma care for the, the population of children they treat, you better believe they're going to start sending nurses out into homes to do these sort of home assessments. The same thing is true for the elderly. You know, so an elderly person comes in after falling at home because they slipped on the stairs or slipped on a carpet or rug, uh, or they, they come in because they got dehydrated or, or were, you know, haven't eaten because they didn't have food. Well, that costs the hospital system or the provider system or whoever's paying for that tens of thousands of dollars, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. You could prevent all of that by sending a nurse into the home, doing a home assessment and making the home safer, making sure that they're not going to fall, making sure that there's the appropriate lighting, making sure that their medications are set up, making sure that they have food, making sure that they have transportation. Um, you know, Geisinger is a great example of this. Um, they've gone so far as to actually uh, provide transportation for elderly folks so they're, n they're not socially isolated. And what they found out, it pays. It pays for, for them to drive their older folks to, to the, the shopping mall, to, to church, to, to their friends and their family. Because when, when an older person is socially isolated, they decline. They stop taking their medications, they stop eating, and they end up in the emergency room in the hospital. So again, very, very concrete examples of, of how healthcare system, our healthcare system as a whole, could do the right thing, humanize healthcare, improve outcomes, and profoundly lower costs um, through the attention to these uh, social determinants of health. You know, one of the things you talked about there, and uh, again, I encourage our listeners to buy the book and read it. Um, you talked about partnering, and I always think about, too, for those kinds of issues, you know, partnering with the community. You know, are there volunteers? Are there, you know, civic groups, religious groups, different people you could partner um, can also be part of the solution, which is potentially really exciting. Um, I, I think you're, I th Stuart, I think you're absolutely 100% right. I, 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 you know, if you look at other countries around the world that do this, it, it is absolutely these multi-stakeholder collaborations. There's no way that the healthcare system can do housing and food and, and these sorts of things, education. Uh, you need you need multiple stakeholders. And, and I actually think one of the most exciting things about healthcare is we're going to see, uh, I think in the next three, five, definitely in the next three to five years for sure, if not sooner, we're going to see uh, a lot of these other entrants come into essentially what is a an enlarged and expanded healthcare system, or health system for that matter. You know, uh, um, the uh, secretary for the uh, Department of Health and Human Services in North Carolina, Mandy Cohen, I, she has a phrase which I really love. She says, "We're not interested anymore in just buying healthcare. We want to purchase health." And that's what she's talking about. She's talking about that larger, broader approach, which, to your point, was going to require a collaboration amongst multiple stakeholders that are currently not engaged in the healthcare system. Well, it's intriguing. I mean, you're the doctor, so you have to tell me. But the you were talking earlier about the uh, the nurse coming into the house. Some of this, whether that's appropriate or not, but. Uh, maybe even something lower, but the having volunteers that have been taught how to help with these yep. kinds of things so that, you know, we can uh, yes. spare our clinicians and, and uh, you know, leverage our resources. Because I think there's a lot of people who would love to help old people and yeah. asthmatic kids get better. They I, just have to know I, how. I think, I think, Stuart, again, I think you're, you're spot on. And, um, you know, there's great examples of this that um, you don't have to have the, the training and expertise of a nurse or a PA uh, to do this, uh, for instance, there's uh, we and others are using paramedics across the country to do home visits. Um, uh, UPenn is a leader, University of Pennsylvania or Penn Med is a leader in using community health workers. They literally go out into the community, they find people that are extremely empathetic, and then they train them uh, to be able to work with people in the community, uh, in their homes, it, literally in their neighborhoods because they come from neighborhoods. And, and, um, and, and they train them how to interface with nurses and with doctors. And it's a great, great bridge. Um, they're showing really profound uh, uh, outcomes. They're doing some great research in this. It's really evidence-based. So I think you're spot on. You don't need the expertise of a nurse or a doctor or a PA. Uh, you, you, you really can train community health workers. And, and there's great examples of this in organizations like ChenMed and Neora Health, where they're, they're, they're taking care of very complicated older patients, uh, and, and they're actually using health coaches. These are non-clinical people as the core member of their team. So, again, lots of great evidence to support what you just said.
That's exciting because I can imagine this is a little bit off track, but they would also, if they're in the home, identify stuff before it goes off the rail. They're not a, that's not their job, yeah. but if they see it, it's better to have somebody there than not, right? Versus somebody who's isolated Absolutely. by themselves. So the last thing I yeah. go ahead, go on, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. You go. Uh, well, I was just going to say one thing that, that, so as I was reading the book, one of the things that, um, you know, having worked in this industry for 20 years, um, there's a lot of inertia keeping things just the way they are. And uh, I think you may have brought this quote up, but this is a pretty common quote in the book, but I, I also use it, which is an Albert Einstein quote, which is, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. And what's interesting is I have a former mentor of mine who is more pessimistic. He said, you can't ask the same people who created the problem to fix it. <laughs> so it's it's a little um, uh, more uh, pessimistic well, for sure. But, yeah. the, you know, yeah. I, I was just, just going to say, obviously, though, healthcare yeah. is, you know, become a morass of complexity. But there's some strong, yep. strong forces, um, you know, kicking and dragging. Things are going to change. And you talked about uh, this dominant force being business. And I I kind of feel like. If that old show, you know, or that old movie, I, you know, I just can't take it anymore. I've had it. I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore. Tell us yeah. about business and what's happening there. Yeah, no, I, I think the great, great quote to bring in there is uh, from Warren Buffett, right? Who's been saying for the past three or four years that, um, you know, healthcare is, is really the sort of hungry parasite of the, of corporate America and um, the hungry tape room is what he, we actually calls uh, healthcare. And, and that, you know, that, that's a pretty aggressive uh, perspective, but I think that's actually very much the perspective that corporate America has right now about healthcare. It's, you know, it's the number one line item. It's the number one cost for, for, for most industries and most companies. Uh, they don't know what they're getting. They don't know, you know, uh, the return on investment. Um, you know, the costs are opaque. We know, we know, uh, really from their data and their literature, that so much of, uh, of the surgeries and procedures are unnecessary and actually harmful to their employers. And so, you, you know, the, the, this is not, again, this is not an academic issue. This is not even a humanistic issue. This is not even, this is definitely not a political issue. Um, this is the market. Um, the market has had enough. It's not going to take it anymore. What you're seeing, though, which is really, really interesting, is that, um, employers, corporate America has very, very quickly gone from being um, the sleeping giant is what I call them of, of, of healthcare. You know, the, the employees were kind of sleeping, but now they're awake and they're kind of hangry. You know, they're both, they're both angry, but they're also hungry. And, and yeah, they're actually, uh, they're, they're, they're hungry for our revenue because they see the gross inefficiencies and the ineffectiveness in the healthcare industry. And again, they, they see a margin in that. And they, 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 they think they could do a better job. And um, so they're aggressively, aggressively going after the healthcare industry and both from their perspective as initially as an employer fixing their own healthcare. And we see lots of end runs uh, that they're making around healthcare delivery, but they're now actually saying, well, we actually think we could actually do this better than you can. And, and they're not being shy about that anymore. So um, now I would say in terms of the same people doing it, I would say the fundamental thing is this. We know that all innovation essentially is borrowing concepts from a, a different field or industry and bringing it into your industry. And, and again, that's the fundamental point I make in the book. The, 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 the concept that we need to adopt in healthcare is a marketing mindset. That is the fundamental reframe of our error. And if the people in healthcare can do that, then yes, we will be the people to change healthcare and be part of that change. If we can't, well, uh, we'll be working for those other people because they're the ones that are going to be, you know, running healthcare. So I, I think I think the choice is pretty obvious, and um, that's why, you know. And by the way, I, I, you know, I think it's the right thing to do. I, I mean, my 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 fundamental purpose is to humanize healthcare, um, to make it better for the people that are being served by the system, and to make it better for the people being served in the system to unleash and unlock the tremendous value that is currently locked up in our healthcare system, in our providers, in, in our staff, uh, in the system itself. Um, and, and ultimately, it's really about saving lives. And, and I just don't know how to put it any other way. Well, that's fantastic. And yes, at the end of the day, you know, we talked about this beginning, uh, so I maybe we can wrap up this way. You know, we're not trying to make anybody wrong here. I didn't get that impression from your book at all and your talk. 
Um, rather, we're looking for better ways and acknowledging we still have safety problems. We have patient experience problems. We have doctor burnout problems. So it's hard for anybody to advocate this is great <laughs> when you look at it from all, really, what else could there be, right? If nobody's right. happy, there's we've, there's got to be something we can change, right? So that's important. Right. And I think that, uh, you know, it takes voices that are, you know, courageous and willing to look at things new and uh, bring in new insights. And again, our point is exactly the same, Zav, that it's changing anyway, <laughs> whether we like it or right. not, um, whether we want to be part of it or not, it's going to change and it is changing. Uh, one of the things I talked about um, on a podcast I had with, Press, uh, with some people from Press Ganey was that a uh, mm -hmm. quote in their latest white paper was, healthcare has changed more in the last several years than the last three decades. And that is 100% my experience as well. It's just moving so fast and the marketplace is moving it. But I think that the difference that you, I was really intrigued like, as I was going for your book. And I, the interesting part of the book was the business part was at the end because I was waiting for the punchline. Like, okay, how are we going to get here? Seb, I'm with you. How are we going to get here? Right. And right. I, lo I love that you put that toward the end of the book because I thought that was really important because it's not just about greedy business guys, but at the end of the day, they're footing the bill. And that's where the I think so many of the issues have been because when the um, it's a different marketplace when the consumers haven't directly paid the bill. And another thing I thought was really intriguing was your insight that, you know, just saying that, you know, the consumers having skin on the game, it's really not fair, as it turns out. And I thought that was really an intriguing insight. So this book is filled, filled with insights. And I really appreciate your thoughts and uh, leadership. I'm going to close in a moment, but any last comments for our listeners? Uh, Stuart, I, th I think you did a really great job of, of summarizing it. Um, no, I, 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 you know, again, I, I, I think the overall point here, you know, my point is trying to take what I've seen happening. Uh, I, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a futurist and I'm not talking about the future. I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking at what's been happening over the past few years. I've been following the narratives and, and following the themes and just have distilled it. And, and I've seen this pattern of success and I, I'm hoping that people, you know, pick up the, on this reframe and the reframe roadmap. I just think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, an effective and, and replicable and scalable uh, approach to really transforming healthcare, which we all agree we need to do. And, and so, you know, that, that's really what, what I'm all about at this point. That's terrific. And again, the last uh, point I'll make on that then is, yeah, I think it's important to have that perspective. You know, it's we we're at the end of the day, we're an agency. You know, we get compensated the way we get compensated. Everybody has their own things they have to do on a daily basis. So people that you like you that take the time to stop and seriously study and put together, connect some of the dots, because these are the things I've noticed as well. But you actually spent the time to study it and pull it together into a context all wrapped up into about 250 pages of terrific reading. So I thought that was great. And again, I, I would uh, echo your point. This, this isn't theory. Zeb supports his uh, hypotheses throughout the book um, beyond hypothesis. These are actual just observed um, things that are happening in the marketplace. So that book, again, is Reframing Healthcare, A Roadmap for Creative Dis Creating Disruptive Change by Zeb Neuwirth. Also, Zeb's podcast, which um, I'm going to link to as well on the, uh, on the um Post creating a new healthcare. Terrific, Zev. I really appreciate your uh, coming on our uh, podcast today, and I look forward to uh, working with you again in the future.